1: Welcome to the Geekiest. My name is Joseph. My pronouns are he, him.
0: i um, Will, he, him. I'm Shivam, and I also
1: use he, him pronouns.
2: I'm Izzy. I use she, they.
1: Welcome, I- Welcome Izzy and Shivam. <laughs> I, I almost said them together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amalgamate us into one person. <laughs>
1: it was going to be Evam and Shizzy, so, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you just call them Shizzy. Chizzy. <laughs> no. I mean, Snoop, we can invite Snoop in, and it'll all be Snoop. Um, welcome. Uh, so I I was drawn to uh, first your Instagram uh, and then your YouTube channel. Um, but it is as as we were speaking and getting ready for the episode, uh, there there is a change. So uh, this is Izzy and Shivam of Horror and Harpy. Um, and you guys are makers of fine video products and also really good art. Um just wanted to throw that out there. Love growing through uh Izzy's art page.
2: Hey, thanks.
1: <laughs> so, um so t- okay, the new name. Can mm-hmm. can we get it? Can we get an explanation of the new name?
0: Uh yeah. So, um well, of course we originally decided to go with uh, Spicy Velociraptor Studios and How that ended up started was, like, um, it it was just kind of a a non-joke between, like, uh, me and one of my buddies of just kind of, like, um, just creating this, like, really random name. Um, And I I think the the dumb joke was, like, I'll bring the spicy, you bring the velociraptor. And, like, it's one of those things that just, like, it doesn't quite make sense, which is why it was so funny to us. Um, But moving forward, as we're trying to, like, make sure that we establish ourselves as like a D page um we, we we wanted to go for horror and harpy to to really solidify our relationship to to you know D and uh j- just how much uh content we try to, to produce for it um so yeah uh, i decided to pick a, a little eldritch horror monster uh called a uh, a star Spawn Seer. Um, and Izzy, of course, uh, if you want to explain your monster, <laughs>
2: mine's a harpy based on a harpy because I like feathered women. You know, that's, <laughs> that's just how it be. Mm. <laughs> you,
1: you know what I when I when I saw the logo, I thought that was the the, the star sponsor. So that excellent job, <laughs> excellent job with the the imaging. Uh, also, that is that is, especially because I was looking at uh, using a, a star uh, sponsor eventually in a, the uh, not safe for wizards campaign and mm-hmm. those things are creepy
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah just the the star spawns in general yes. um just really end up being like these creepy interesting monsters of just like mm-hmm. I-, I personally am just like absolutely horrified of bugs so like mm-hmm. uh, an entire monster is basically just like made out of, like, creepy worms is just, like, an interesting concept to me, and just, like, a a nice bit of, like, if if I'm horrified by this, and hopefully I can describe it to my players in a horrifying way. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That one, and what is the other one? The, uh, the, the was it the Spawn of Caius? Or the... um... Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That thing. Again, for all your bug needs. Mm -hmm. Um... Good, creepy horror. So, so, as we like to do, uh, what we like to always dig into the origins, uh, especially what got you into being a geeky and uh, be uh, d and d tabletop role-playing game, uh, fans and creators. So um.
2: um, so basically, in September of last year, I saw that mm-hmm. they were um back when they were um spicy philosopher at the Studios. I saw that they were working on a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons animatic, and I'm an animation major, so I was like, hey, if you guys need help, I would love to help you out, because I also need stuff for my own resume. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, sure, uh, maybe. And then he's like, hey, can you help for real? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And then after that, uh, he decided, hey, do you want to be in this uh, this new um, campaign I'm starting for Dungeons and Dragons? and I haven't played since college so it's been like like 2 or 3 years. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I actually haven't played before. I've mostly been a forever DM and we have been playing the same campaign currently since November, almost a year now.
0: Mhm. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> slowly coming up on that year anniversary. Um yeah, and um yeah, I I guess uh, my origins with the channel go back just a little bit further. Um I, I think it was just, like, start of, like, uh, of COVID. Um, yeah, no, just cooped up inside all day. Just, like, uh, I'm, I'm in college right now, so, like, I was just working on, like, um, just boring sort of, like, uh, very mechanical stuff, and I just really need, like, something to do. And just, like, um, you know, get really got just uh, back into, like, D&D with friends uh, from back home and just got, like, really into it from there. And eventually, um, yeah, with the iMatic series, I decided, like, um, I'm just going to start writing out like a, a little script, uh, based on like, a our, our first campaign that we ran, um, and end up just kind of writing it and then just kind of like, uh, taking breaks from it and just going back to it over like the course of like a month or so. And eventually like I was just showing it to friends. I'm like, is this anything? And they're like, yeah, it's actually pretty good. So from there, like we, we really just kind of de- dealt into a lot of like uh different, like creative D and D projects.
1: <laughs> That's really cool. Um, Giving a geek point to uh, Izzy for being a long-time uh, DM only.
3: Uh,
1: as, a, as, as, a, as a almost always DM, I, I feel <laughs> your pain.
4: Fell into the trap.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to play, but no one wants to run the game. So, mm-hmm. so I,
2: But now I get to play,
0: and yeah, I love
2: know. it. And now I, I am just the
0: forever DM. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I just I just fuck up his plans constantly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I
1: mean, that's kinda of how it works, isn't it? I mean
2: mm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> More me I, than I, anybody, but
0: <laughs> yeah. I'd appreciate you at least masking your like your gleeful stomping over all my <laughs> hopes and dreams. <laughs>
1: Oh. so so izzy yes. tell us about your character
2: oh my gosh okay <laughs> so we so i was trying to figure out what i wanted to be and what i wanted to do because i was like there's so many ideas i could do so i was like okay rogue because i feel like my own personality can match into the angsty you know rogue my parents mm-hmm. are dead that whole kind of thing um so i was like Hey, can I do a homebrew race because I barely knew Shivam and like we were still trying to get to know everybody in the campaign and whatnot. And he's like, "Yeah, what are you thinking?" And I'm like, "What about a Kitsune, which is like the the fox demon from Japanese mythology?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's cool." So we looked up some homebrew stuff, and I was like, "Cool." So her name is Juliet Hey Jung. Uh, so I kind of just amalgamated Korean and Japanese mythology. I kind of based her off of a. Uh, a K-drama series that I was watching at the time, and I was like, perfect. Um, Basically, her real name is Bliss. She's a runaway princess, and she went under the name Juliet because I thought it was funny. (laughs) Um, And she became a drunk and a spy, and now she's running around trying to save the world, and she's actually matured a lot. So now she's like more of a ninja samurai at the moment. I love her. That's
1: it. <laughs> it's, it's it's so it's so it's so interesting from from you know running away to I guess we're saving the world.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. <laughs> um I know that wasn't quite kitsune, but uh back in f- edition, fourth edition, uh they had the uh Hengeoke and mm, uh, mm-hmm. one of my players in the campaign, uh she was she was henge she was Hengeoke, but she would be uh she, I think, it was always Fox form or mm. hybrid form. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting take bringing in. Uh, I'm going to give them both a geek point for, for the, the homebrew and allowing the homebrew. I always <laughs> like to hear a DM who's open to, uh, to things out of the box. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The yeah, amount of times he's had to work out of the box. Because of <laughs> I mean, me. I'll, I'll give him an extra geek point just because of all the shit he's had to deal with because of what I've done. I'm just...
3: oh, man.
1: <laughs> I mean, um, it basically, as you
0: set up your own
1: to, breaks to step on. But, you know,
0: <laughs> um, but actually to that point of, of homebrewing content, I, I definitely <laughs> think more DMs should absolutely be like, trying to to make sure like uh to see if there's any good like homebrew content out there and mm-hmm. try like a comedy that sort of stuff because like um you know it just ended up being like this tiny sort of thing of this like uh we'll, we'll look into kitsune and like uh we'll, we'll play things by ear and kind of see how things go and like be, because all my players are super understanding of like I am trying my absolute darnest to balance this game, um, and I need to to make sure that like uh, you know, we're not any of you aren't like uh, overpowered, and like we need to address that if that is. Um, I, I think I'm very very open to that content because we're very good about like communicating the those sorts of lines of mm-hmm. like, hey, you, this character is getting too crazy, or hey, this character might feel a little weak.
1: <laughs> no, that that is so important. I I also am a big fan of you know being open to the homebrew. Um, I know in the Nazi for wizards campaign, uh, one of my players, as we were doing like the even pre session zero, is like, can I, can I use the, uh, the gunslinger subclass, the fighter subclass that Matt Mercer had, uh, just put up on DM's Guild, And I was like, sure. Yeah. Why not? Let's, let's <laughs> do it. Um, and then, uh, there were Kayla's character in our, our game, Jade, uh, Started using a crowbar um, as a weapon <laughs> and decided that, you know, to, to, to truly be able to harness all her rogue abilities, she went and got had the the, the blacksmith and the palace that they're they're staying in, uh fashion her fashion a sword from the crowbar. So uh we decided to go with like uh, a, a hook sword. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> That's pretty sick. Yeah.
1: So I, I I sat there and I looked at some I looked up some homebrew stuff and figured out you know what what I wanted to take from it and and made the homebrew item for for her character so she can you know nice. made sure it had the finesse property so she can get her sneak attack with it and
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> of course more often than not she's you know she's using her her uh, her bow or she's using her daggers but she does have the hook sword so
3: that's you know. important.
1: Yeah, it is very important. Um, and, and like the the gunslinger decided after he had made his his first gun, it was like he wanted to get enchanted, so it has a silence spell cast on it.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's like like you said, you gotta be open um, because sometimes the most interesting things come from 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 those uh, homebrew experiences.
2: Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and of course the okay, well. Now that I gave him a firearm, that's technically a magical weapon, everything that had resistance to damage is now now boned because he's just gonna <laughs> shoot it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: that's how it be.
4: <laughs> Sometimes it happens that
2: way.
4: But it also means like you know, that... just means that your monsters have to get stronger.
1: That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> it, it just opens up more of the book. More of the, mm-hmm. the monster manual or more demons <laughs> <Canons> or solos.
2: <laughs> potential TPKs, you know, just the <laughs> the works.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like that's probably the, the one danger of it. I, I definitely feel it too in my campaign. Like, I've given the players like a lot of like magical items and special boons and that kind of stuff, and like, um. Uh, I was I'm trying to throw like more difficult encounters at them and like they're still kind of blazing through it. And so I'm like uh you, you have to have like a, a good like um sense of like your your finger on the dial of like uh how much of that was just good roles and them planning correctly and how much of that was like uh, I need to fully like um uh get hard like more difficult monsters in there. there.
1: that is <laughs> definitely um Shiva. Mm-hmm. Do you uh award treasure uh magic items? specifically do you randomly award it or do you have specific items picked out to put into um treasure so my
0: general rule of thumb is level five i normally give everyone a plus one magic item and when i try to like make the items i uh, I, I sometimes try to homebrew if i have the time um and when i try to homebrew uh, i'm i make like items that uh um either like add something on really important to the character or more importantly, give the character like a a more wide set of options and more decision points that they can choose from. Uh, for example, the, the fighter, uh, we have is also a gunslinger. Um, and so I gave him a weapon that, uh, gives him a little bit of extra, a D six damage. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, he needs to basically decide if uh, all of his damage basically gets converted into an element that he decides. So he can pick from, uh, fire lightning uh acid or cold um and he can basically like you know like switch the barrel around to to change the damage type um and so like uh monsters uh if a monster is like um immune to to lightning damage um then he needs to kind of figure that out and like know to switch off of like the lightning mm-hmm. like uh, attachment and then switch through like his different like uh things um which i tried to make sure to, to do because like i feel that um uh Fighter in combat occasionally like uh, it, it occasionally can feel like uh, you don't have enough decision points. Mm-hmm. So I try to give them like something where you could use as a decision point. Um, and then my other rule that I use is uh, I try to give um, everyone at least either some kind of like uh, important item uh, or something like that uh, at the end of, uh, every arc and what I try to do is I try to give every character sort of an arc uh, where like they at least have one important scene that's important to them or like NPCs from their backstories show up um, and uh, I, I try to make sure they have at least one item that like eat, again same thing either like buffs up the character uh, and, and like focuses in on what they're good at or just widens up like more like options for them to use uh, for to solve problems.
1: I am I am a chaos monkey. I <laughs> I roll on the random tables. <laughs> um, which has to this point been to maybe my detriment a little bit. Uh <laughs> when they end up with a medallion of thought, helm of teleportation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh which I will tell you has led to uh they were figuring out the other day at least 20 plus horses being left <laughs> at various locations around the continent that they're traveling on
0: <laughs> oh gosh
1: yep <laughs>
2: I mean, we do have a character in our campaign. Her name is Hopscotch, and she's a grung, and she loves trash. Like, she Mm -hmm. will go out of her way to dig through trash, and so we have something called Hops Treasure Table. So basically, she rolls a D100, and whatever it lands on, that's the trash that she'll get. (laughs)
3: Nice.
2: (laughs) And what have we got so far? Like, uh, a wand Um, of fireball that's, like, janky or something?
0: Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, um we've had the cape that just billows dramatically in the wind. That's Um, a good one. A a horse cube, which is basically like a Pokeball for a single horse. Just a single Um, horse.
4: (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, there's been a lot of fun, goofy items with Take a
4: collective geek point, because that's freaking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I want the cape that just billows by itself. Dude, I would love the horse
2: cube. Could you imagine just going up to somebody, like a random, like, just like, like, evil person you're supposed to defeat? Oh, yeah? Well, (laughs) guess what? Throws out the horse cube, but just a random horse just pulls, like, (laughs) just gallops out at them. Like, what would you do?
0: Mm. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
4: But Joe, what you need to do is next time that they decide they're going to go, they're, they're going to go on an adventure, and they come up to this cave. There's going to be a couple of horse skeletons right at the entrance. Oh oh my God, they've been here before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, <You laughs> that, that's
4: just saying.
1: Yeah, you know that's uh, they um they haven't they have that's the one thing is like they have not just like dumped the horses in the wild. Like they <laughs> always manage to um. Like they left one out of town, uh, where they left one of my players had to to drop out for a bit uh to continue his. He, he's one of those crazy people trying to balance uh school and work and being a parent all at the same time. Uh so he was also one of our co-hosts on the show, Pete. Uh Pete, we miss you and love you if you're listening. Uh, but he was playing a character and he was like, I've gotta, I gotta step away. And I was like, you know, no problem, I totally understand. And uh so his character got left behind in the town to help defend it from undead hordes and they left the horses there at the livery. Um, they left other horses with elves that were escorting them. Uh yeah, they've they've and then the last set of horses they had, they uh they ran across when they were teleporting back to the palace. Uh they gave them to merchants who had been uh attacked by brigands. And, you know, had lost all of their goods. So, like, well, here, you can go sell these horses in town. Hmm. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're altruistic, if not, uh, slightly, uh, slightly, slightly wasteful with buying <laughs> horses or getting horses. It's, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, I, I, I somewhat think I, I made the mistake in and being the chaos monkey and just kind of, here, let's just roll on this. Oh, okay. Well, now they got the, the or they've got the adamantine armor. Uh, so you know, I can't crit them.
3: Right. Mm. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Pretty much everything I've given them has come to bite me in the ass when I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my my yeah. the 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 only moment that I um I kind of took a little glee was the they'd gotten one of those barred instruments um, mm-hmm. that. You know, if you're not a bard and attuned to it, if you try to play it, it does like psychic damage. <laughs> mm-hmm. The paladin was like, Well, I'm I'm proficient with loots, and I'm like, Okay, try to play it. <laughs> oh god. Right. You just took twelve points of psychic damage. He was like, Ah, oh, that why brain hurt from music. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh,
4: man. So. so basically you took the Vogon poetry and turned it into a piece of musical equipment. <laughs> well,
1: it, it's basically the it's it's the the uh, it's like the sign in the in the the musical instrument store telling you not to you know try to play it if you don't know how to mm-hmm. you know he's uh, you know I didn't make the item it's it's in the DMG uh, I believe it was <laughs> the uh, the the DOS loot or something like that it's a mm-hmm. a bard only item that, that you to attune to so mm-hmm. um, so tell me about about the animatic series. What what made you go this route instead of, you know, joining the wide world of, you know, on screen actual plays or actual play podcast or.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think w- what I really wanted because like a, I wanted to be an animatic for sure and it to, to be like a, a scripted sort of thing. Um, because it, it's a retelling of my experiences. But it's not like a totally like um like a, a word for word like a replay uh, of of like um uh the the actual content of the campaign. What I wanted it to feel like was um the feeling of like the players uh, at the table and like the the goofy jokes that they have and like it, it's this really goofy sort of comedy series um. Uh, where, where there's plenty of, like, fourth wall breaks and stuff like that, and of course like, uh, the, the classics of, like, uh, all the players, like, uh, ganging up on the DM to, like, tease them for a design decision that they've made, um, uh, or the GM just, like, gleefully, like, uh, retconning details or something like that, or, like, uh, just saying, like, oh, have fun with this sort of encounter. <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: um so, so do the, uh, do the players voice their characters or
0: mm-hmm. um yeah, so I actually decided to find some like uh, some voice actors uh for this um and uh yeah, no, there's a hugely talented team that we managed to find um i I wanted just again like a uh, voice actors because like um uh again it's based on it, but it's not like uh exactly us it's um so for example like the the gm um i i really wanted to make sure to to differentiate them um so the the gm persona ends up actually being like female in the series um and i just wanted to kind of like make sure it's just like a it's a separate character from me (laughs) shivam
1: cool um who's who are uh, are are these known folks or are they
0: um yeah, so uh the the voice actors for sure they're they're not like um they they all kind of like websites and they're all kind of like uh aspiring to get out there. We end up finding each other on like this uh website behind the voice actors um yeah and and they're all providing their talents like uh for free just because like um which is very nice because uh we're really just kind of getting started here to uh to make the series <laughs> cool. um yeah so yeah j- just as we're kind of like getting our our roots to to try and get, you know become like a bigger d and d channel, they're also trying to become like a bigger uh, voice actors.
1: That's really cool. It's always nice when you can come together, help each other out, uh, get that all sorted out. Get
4: some <laughs> grassroots working yeah yep.
1: <laughs> so um so you, you both have been playing how how long have you each been playing d and d?
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, what year I, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll go first. I'm at 38 years of playing D&D. So, oh, wow. hold right. the park.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I, I have I have
1: no idea.
4: <laughs>
0: 4 years under my belt uh at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think I started freshman year of college year. <laughs> cool.
2: I think like 5 or 6. I cannot remember.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The world's a blur. Yeah, this this last year and a half has definitely done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so fifth edition would be then your 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 first edition of D anD
0: D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of hopped on because it's a very like e- nice, easy. Uh, um, e- it's very accessible. Um, mm-hmm. and and very easy to just like learn the rules and pick up and play. <laughs> you yeah, young no. whippersnappers don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: You don't know how to
0: calculate Seiko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've heard like Nightmare stories of like uh oh, yeah the um yeah, like a, in 4E there was like um like flash cards or something like that, were like uh or like yep. action cards or something. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I remember hearing all of those nightmare although, stories. Although
1: for for fourth edition, um I am a huge proponent. I ran an almost four-year campaign and no, mm-hmm. it wasn't just one combat. <laughs> nice.
4: um, it was two. <laughs> it was two
1: Yeah, well, I had I averaged about six or seven players a session, the pool of players in the group. At one point, I think I got up to 12. Uh-huh. Um yeah, it uh-huh. it was a bit ridiculous. Um but yeah, it, well, you're talking about the fighters and the the decision points you get to um mm-hmm. cuz I have played fighters in previous editions and my turns looked like I swing my weapon. I swing my weapon again. Oh, look, I swing my weapon a third time at even less a chance of hitting. Okay, mm. my turn is done. And then, you know, the cleric is, you know, dropping a, a spiritual hammer or mm. sacred, uh, not sacred flame. What was the one the name of the spell falls out of my head? But, you know, giant columns of of, of holy fire, you know, spilling out. Nice. Or you know, the wizard just you know lightning balling everything and it's like hmm, good. Fireball. I'm... Yeah, fireball on mm, Good. I'm so glad I struck twice with my long sword doing a d eight of damage each time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when uh with fourth edition, um fighters not only did you like make your attack, but then like you could trip somebody and knock them prone, or you could uh stun them, or what it was it was it was nice and it gave fighters a bit more to do, but yeah, when, when the character sheet that you, you'd print out would be, you know, eight pages. And the last three of them were like magic, the gathering card size, <laughs> mm-hmm. power, power cards. It it did get, it did get to be a bit much. And, uh, when we were getting near the end, I think we had gotten to like 13th level. Um, when you got like a new feat, which you got like every two or three levels, um, there were over in the D and uh, they had like a creator app for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were over, I think, six thousand feats to choose Dang. from. Dang, yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, back,
4: it got up there.
1: Back in the day, uh, Wizards of the Coast was releasing uh, every every month. You're getting uh, Dragon and Dungeon, which would have usually Dragon magazine would have a new set of powers, maybe a new set of feats uh something um which would get it at, put into the the character creator and they were putting out i think a book a month or two books a month mm-hmm. wow. um, yeah. yeah so it was it was a little ridiculous at times um so yeah when when fifth edition came out and they decided to streamline the production process and and minimize the production process uh those of us from a previous age were very thankful because it was mm-hmm. it, without the character creator. I think it was D anD D Insider. Um, without that, you, I don't. It, it would have been almost impossible to update, keep your character updated, and add things and just do it in any way that made sense. Um, mm-hmm. Which I am so glad that they, they've still kept uh, this edition hasn't kind of got that glut of stuff yet.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, thank goodness um, for D anD D Beyond. Well, there's that too <laughs>
1: In, hashtag uh, not sponsored, but totally willing to be <laughs> um
4: is just a spot on all the
1: platforms <laughs>
0: saying so i've gotta say for- for sure, first of all um that's gotta be a geek point each for that uh and d uh four e three point five e goodness
3: um,
0: <laughs> but i the the thing I found most interesting about four e and um i guess in more modern standards i, I believe like um i, I heard uh, if you like uh 4e and you like the complicatedness of it then like pathfinder 2e is definitely the way to go mm-hmm. um and i've definitely like seen a little bit of pathfinder and i've had like i've set up a character sheet or two before um and i i enjoy, like uh enjoy it there's so many like things you can do with it and there's so many different like rules and systems and races and just like uh all that sorts of nonsense because like for yeah i use a lot of homebrew because like um 5e is very good and it's very robust but it doesn't have like everything that my players could think of and i definitely want to keep saying like yes be creative think outside the box that's not even just like uh, in, in a part of these like uh the these standard core books um and, and so, you yeah, know, it's just kind of this double edged blade of like, yeah, there was all these like extremely cool things and like uh, extremely cool races and all of that stuff. But like, if it's bogged down by like six hundred other feats that you need to like uh, all look at, then it just kind of feels like it 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 loses some of its charm um, of being able to you know kind of like pick and choose the ones you like.
1: <laughs> yeah, well,
0: no, I, that... I
4: think I think with the new edition, it's. It... they they kind of made it to where it's okay this can be as easy or as complicated as you want to make it Mm -hmm. and this is kind of a middle of the road path that you can go down where you can trim fat off of this off of this edition and run it even more basic than what you see in this book Mm -hmm. or you can add to it and add to it and add to it and you know, put in more moving, more more moving pieces that you have to deal with. That's entirely up to you. And that is what uh, I think makes the mark of a good game mm-hmm. is being able to adapt.
1: Yeah, I, I think in previous editions, um, the, the designers also got very bogged down with corner cases, those rare right. things that might come up. But we want to make sure we have a rule in place. So if they do come up, the DM knows what to do. Um, where it feels like Fifth Edition puts more of it back into the DM's hand to make judgment calls, and and I think that's 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 been for me a relief because Fourth Edition was was very much similar, where corner cases were were very much covered, and to do anything outside of what the rules were set up to do could lead to things just breaking.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But. it also
4: helps when they when, when when the makers of the game flat out, come out and say that, look, this, this is by no means the Ten Commandments. It's not written mm. in stone. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. it's, a, it, it's just a book. They're pirates. Uh, they're just guidelines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. And will you pick yourself up another geek point? So
4: mm-hmm. I'm just in for the movie references tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Have you, have you, I beyond uh, Pathfinder? Have you all uh, experimented with other systems, other, other role-playing settings, games?
2: Um, recently, I just helped with the uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender RPG mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So whenever that comes in, Four, I'm
4: fourteen get fourteen points. No, I'm yes, <laughs> <laughs> give me
2: all the points. I'm very yes, competitive. I, I'm
4: so very, very looking forward to this.
2: Yes. Like I, I'm so excited and I didn't I didn't realize how big it was gonna get either. Like I pitched <laughs> in like the day three when it came out and I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. And then it got to like eight million and then all of this stuff is gonna come in the mail on in like February. and I'm like, holy crap,, oh, cool. I, so I think um, Joe,
4: and, Joe and I actually uh, when we first heard about it and read about it, I think we joked, wouldn't it be funny if they got to five million? <laughs> yeah. They hit wasn't eight. that the number we came up with, Joe. It was like it was something like five million, which was I, I, I like Yeah,
3: I at
1: the end it it,
4: more than what they thought it was gonna be, and then it's mm-hmm. gonna be even more than that. And we're <laughs> just like,
1: Yep, this is gonna be huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the fifty thousand dollar goal and they <laughs> ended up at nine and a half million dollars.
2: <laughs> yeah, something like that. I was like blown away. So whenever mm-hmm. that comes out, that's what I'm excited for. I okay, so will we have, to have either, you
4: back on for when it comes out, so that you can tell us a lot more about it. Heck
2: yeah, okay. I will. Mm-hmm. I I will either DM or play. I don't really care. I just want to play the Kyoshi. I'm did, ready. Did you,
1: did, did you just hear this, Joe? <laughs> I I did. I, I, I totally heard this, and I'm in. <laughs> okay, all right, well, because I I I when, when I heard yeah you know when, when I heard about it, um, I went and grabbed uh the the quick start rules that they had released, oh yeah mm-hmm. um, and I've been threatening to run uh you know when we can get everybody together uh to run try to run it i'm I have not had any experience with a powered by the apocalypse game other than reading through Dungeon World back mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. ago um so I'm kind of interested to see how that all works out. I probably think I need to find like somebody who has an actual play using the power by the apocalypse system so mm. I, I kind of mm. get that feel because it's, we it's have a whole different work from
4: the game so, 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 so we have an in
2: you have an in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! no seriously uh. I definitely will if you guys want to play in this i I want to so bad and mm. like based on how well it, like the books go, I'll just make my own story on that because I I am very very creative, very right brained math don't know them but i love creating other things
4: (laughs) joe i think you have another actual play to produce
1: (laughs) sorry (laughs) all right you get the play in this one yeah (laughs) cool cool um so so shivam uh other than what about you and, and other systems
0: um yeah, actually, well, tying it back right back to uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, I actually did run, like, Monster of the Week and stuff like that way back when. Cool. Um I, I definitely want to say it's one of those things I would love to kind of go back to because, like, when I was, like, getting started with Monster of the Week, uh, it's when I was, like, this is before I actually even started D&D, as I'm realizing. Um, it, this is very much, like, a fledgling sort of, like, DMing sort of thing. And, like, um, how I remember running it was that, like, um... Uh, I started with like months, like uh, these like one pages of like notes and stuff like that. I remember being like, it, it's a very easy game to just say like, here's character sheets, like morning of, you guys decide your characters mm-hmm. like right now. Let's play in like an hour. Um, and it's very easy to just, like, just hop into, uh, as long as you have, like, you know, a, a group of people that's very willing to, like, offer up their own sorts of, like, ideas into it. And, like, um, they, they're willing to kind of play along in that space. Um, it, it's a little bit weirder, though, because, like, um, it's even more rules-light than D&D. Um, yeah. And so I definitely remember as one of those things where, like, the mystery itself... It was super easy to run. Like I remember, like uh, I, I liked running mysteries in that because the system is very much designed for that. Um, I, but I, what I, what I felt like at the end though was that like I wanted to end every sort of like arc or something like that with like you know you're supposed to hunt the monster, so it's supposed to eventually be a fight, right? And end up being this weird thing of like. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, at the end of, like, the uh, arc, uh, someone like, came came to me and, like, uh, hey, so I think my character's hospitalized and I can't play them again. And so I said, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of this, like... Maybe it was just me not knowing the rules enough, but definitely a little bit of weirdness of, like, um, just feeling, like, um, uh, I'm not running combat correctly or um, maybe it's just the... Did the difference from D and D of like um you, you guys aren't supposed to be like these big action heroes and like if, if something comes running at you you need to be running away immediately?
1: <laughs> okay, so that's that's slightly so like I said the only Powered by the Apocalypse I've had any exposure to is is Dungeon World, mm-hmm. um, which is you know supposed to emulate uh Dungeons and Dragons, so it, it's it kind of falls more into the your big damn heroes um versus you know it's not like monster hearts which actually are monster hunter which um kind of reminds me of like uh the few times i've ever approached like call of cthulhu trail of cthulhu mm-hmm. where it's like if you if you're getting into a fight with something you you you've made mistakes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mistakes have been made you should not be fighting you know should not be trying to take on the shag off it's uh
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it does
1: not work out for you
0: Um, your gate point thank you (laughs)
1: um but yeah i I remember with dungeon world it was you know it's like you're not the fighter you are or you're not a fighter you are the fighter you're not a wizard you are the wizard there might be other people who cast magic or wield weapons but you're like you're the specialist you're the whatever Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. but yeah no i never got to run that system but like that whole like like the GM doesn't make moves until unless like the the players fail or uh you know and then like the fail but not it's it's was it success success with with consequences and then fail and it's hmm. it, it's an interesting system the whole Powered by Apocalypse I'm really interested interested to get to play it it's it's just one of those where finding the people to play it with and the uh, the time yeah. <laughs> That is always the that's probably the major limiter to everything.
0: Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like, yeah, the the avatar, like uh, the Kickstarter came out at the absolute wrong time, because like, we're, our schedules are already booked and when both of us would kind of looking at each other like we're, we're going to have to like as soon as this comes out, which like our free time is just going to go completely out the window, isn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's, uh, Will joked, oh, it's another, another actual play, but, uh, Kayla, she has a, uh, uh we've been running a, a campaign with her that we're recording that I need to edit together, um, to release, but it's, you know, her sessions are more like traditional D&D sessions where they're like four hours or more mm-hmm. where like the not safe wizards, because we're playing online and we play like on a Wednesday night. If I get two hours out of the out of the group to play, I, I feel like I've won. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's time. Time is the the most precious of our resources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Izzy, uh, the the art background. How long have you been doing that?
2: Um, man, since I was in fifth grade, I've been drawing. <laughs> <laughs> um. I guess I didn't decide on pursuing an art career until uh, the first how to train your dragon movie came out. Um, it, it was me, my brothers and my dad, we all went to go see it. My mom and my sister decided to stay home. Cause they're like, ew, dragons. We don't want to watch that. I'm like, y'all are crazy. Dragons are cool. Whatever. So, um, We went and we saw it and I saw my brothers and my dad's faces just light up seeing these dragons and like this world come to life in front of us. I'm like, this is what I want to do right here. I want to make things like that. So I have a major in animation and I have a minor in art history. And I've been drawing pretty much every single day of my life since fifth grade. (laughs)
1: Cool. Yeah. This uh...
4: This art on your Instagram is absolutely amazing.
2: Thanks. I really appreciate it because sometimes you know, like, you get in a rut of just like making content like constantly, and you're like, when you look back and you're like, is this good still? Is this like still in relevance to everything? I don't know, just art doubts. But then people are like, what? How did you draw that? It's a line. I'm like, I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> the imposter syndrome is real and vicious.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Self-doubt is-, is a horrible horrible thing to have yeah and I, I i know from personal experience so i i'm totally hip but you, you keep pushing through and i love
1: it
2: thanks man
1: yeah there's definitely uh and is this the is this your your day job now as well or
2: uh no i i work <laughs> like another job but <laughs> um yeah
1: as do we all
4: yeah
0: i don't know what you're talking about
2: if i could do this for a living i totally would
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's kind of where we're at is like this is currently just like our our side hustle for now but like we'll end up seeing how things pan out and like uh you know things get like big in the future (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm.
1: no i mean that's that's you know that's definitely way to to go about doing it i mean you know i i i have gotten lucky with with my career path and uh at the moment, my, my day job is doing social media and creating video and podcast content. So I'm um, I kind of lucked into that, nice. uh, but it's but it's not working for myself. It's working for somebody else. But oh, yeah, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of realizing it was like I kind of got what I wanted a little bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so um so. I was just looking at your, your videos. So there's also Phoenix chat. Mm-hmm. And what is, um, is this, is this the, this isn't the show. This is. Yeah. So is this the th- show?
0: No, the, the Phoenix chats are just like, um, so yeah, we're still in like very much the pr- production process of like making stuff. We, we finished up all the sketches and we're still doing like the line art, uh, for the okay. actual keepers of War animatic. Um, in the meantime, the Phoenix chats have just been a way for us to like, um, we, we first kind of talk uh, on a weekly sort of basis about like what's been happening like uh, in our campaign um, and just sort of a brief sort of like um, rundown of like, here's the exact like things we did. Here's like just our general sort of reactions to it. Um, then in part two of like the, a little bit later that week, we basically ended up talking about like, um, here, here's like a uh, why I designed that encounter the way I did and, um, he, here's, like, um what you can do in order to, like, facilitate roleplay better and, like, kind of just do a little bit of a, a back-and-forth retrospective on, like, here's what worked, here's what didn't, here's how we can, like, make stuff better. um And it's definitely just kind of been, like, it, it's mostly uh, for me, for sure, just to, like, have my thoughts in the campaign, for sure, kind of, like, uh, just being able to, like, say them out loud. um And if someone gets some kind of value out of that, I would absolutely love that but like it's it's a it's a lot for like um being able to just kind of like look back at her campaign and just kind of like talk back and forth about like um here's like uh how we can explain to someone like uh why the scene worked or something like that
1: (laughs) that's cool that's cool um i i like that especially like the like explaining you know like encounter design or or you know things like that um so I think a lot of time you, you know, especially when you're consuming D&D content and things happen and it's like, OK, that was like that encounter seemed really tough or that encounter, you know, when you can tell, say, like the encounter, like, OK, I w- I hadn't planned for this to be a combat. I thought maybe it'd be mm-hmm. more of a social interaction, but uh, mm-hmm. somebody got trigger happy or more <laughs> often than not, actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, more often than not with my group, I expected it to be combat. <laughs> and they and they started talking to the experience points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I gotta come up with voices and remember names and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> doing the actual <laughs> hard work of dungeon mastering. Not <laughs> just All right. keeping track of hit points.
2: I, I got one I got one question for you. What is the funniest or most rememberable NPC ever you've had to made up on the spot?
1: <laughs> um so he, he's a he's become a reoccurring MPC, but I have uh a, a a goblin pirate captain or a ship captain named drugodo Oh <laughs> um, who sounds a bit like these. And uh, he is very much a friend of the party at almost all times. Um <laughs> I love him. <laughs> and yeah, he uh he he was he he I ran this there was a zero level adventure for fourth edition. Um, And that's I ran that, and he was kind of an NPC there, but it wasn't really like we're going to talk to him. It was, you know, the the, the original plan wasn't to talk to him, but the party decided to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he just somehow became a reoccurring NPC in the campaign. Um, And then years, years later, I was running Dragon Heist and the I, I wasn't running Dragon Heist. I was running Dragon Heist adjacent. I didn't actually plan to run the, the the adventure. They were just going to be in Waterdeep while the events of Dragon Heist were going on. Um and, and Dragoto appeared there. Um he's appeared in Kayla's campaign. Um and uh he he's he's if if you're listening to Not Safe for Wizards, uh I will give you a hint of a spoiler. A goblet, a, a goblin captain will show up. Uh, very soon
3: mm. so
1: uh yeah so he like ridiculous as all get out but fun for me to play um and i've never i've never been tempted though to make him like a a, a dmpc like he shows up when he's needed and i take him off the set as soon as i can because i don't mm-hmm. want the characters to start getting reliant on him or mm-hmm. you know whatever like he's he's got things he needs to do Gotcha.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a
4: side story. (laughs) A one-off, if you will.
1: (laughs) The Adventures Mm -hmm. of (laughs) Tracoto. Hey,
4: if you ever wanted to give your players a break for a week and you wanted something to just kind of throw out there, hey, here you go.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I I have something even better uh, possibly coming in the future. One of my players actually volunteered to run a one-shot uh very soon.
3: Ooh.
1: Uh to kind of give me a little time to take a break and whatever. Uh no timetable on that yet, but but it is it is planned. So nice. Mm-hmm. So uh anyone else with, with creative NPCs?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is- <laughs> you want to explain toad? Yes, Bert?
2: I do. <laughs> I love him. Okay, so. Me being my rambunctious self, no. I'm like, we, we had to go inside of this very scientific um, building and we had to go to the meeting room. Well, I'm like, well, I want to go see what the scientists are doing. And she was like, oh, uh, OK, I, I really don't have anything planned. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to go see. So I go up to this random scientist. I'm like, what you do? And he's like, please do not bother me right now. And he's like, you know, trying to pour something into a beaker, like very like uh, meticulously. Very, trying to be very, very careful. And I, just before he drops the little droplet into the beaker, I yoink the beaker from him, and it just falls into the table. I'm like, huh. And he's like, you just ruined my life's work. All of it's gone now. And I was like, oh, um, here, let me just try to remake it. And it didn't work, obviously, because I, I, I'm not a scientist. And I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> His name is Toadbert. He is a Grung. Uh, Grung only live up to 50 years. So I think he's Mm -hmm. like, what, 45, 47? Mm -hmm. Something like that. And um, I just keep pissing him off. (laughs) Because (laughs) I'm a Kitsune. And they live up to, like I think, 9,000 years or something. And I'm like, oh, just remake it. You have enough life with Anya, don't you? And he's he's like, no. And I'm like, well, I'm 200. Or no, I'm 134. So you'll be fine. He's like fuck you! I'm only 45! I'm gonna die soon! I'm like, oh! So, Toadbert, the unoccurring NPC that hates me, and it's funny for everyone else.
0: Yeah. It was great, too, because, like, I made up this NPC on the spot and then Izzy decided to do all of that and then I said, great, Toadbert is now going to be a major NPC for the rest of this entire arc. (laughs) I was
1: going to say, do you want a nemesis? Because that's how you get a nemesis.
2: You know, I have a lot of nemesis because she has a very bad habit of flipping off the enemy (laughs) and like shit talking and not knowing uncanny dodge even though she's a a rogue. (laughs)
3: So she just oh, no. decides
2: to tank when she should not be tanking.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, no. There's <laughs> yeah. at least one fight
0: that you single-handedly triggered <laughs> just yeah. by flipping off the wrong person.
2: It's, it's fine. It's fine.
1: <laughs>
0: it's we only fine. died
2: once.
1: <laughs> I, have, I have to say, as a, as a DM, uh, the, the TPK... Actually, killing characters at least for i have found it's really difficult
0: (laughs) um it it is uh i've only been able to do it so i have killed three of my characters with the explicit promise of like um uh I'm, i'm going to bring you back like next session and even then it was definitely extremely hard to actually like follow through with the idea of like if any deaths occur in this combat uh i'm just going to let it happen (laughs) that was a rough day
1: (laughs) yeah i've i've i think the best i've done is taken them to taken a character well i should back this up Mm -hmm. i did manage to kill um a character when we were i was when we were before we started playing uh, I wanted to introduce a couple of my my would be players to fifth edition. Uh, one had played in the fourth edition campaign. Actually, two had played in the fourth edition campaign, and the other hadn't played since second edition. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. So we I ran the opening encounter from Lost Minds of Phandelver, Um and. Uh spoiler alert for those who have not played it. Uh there is a goblin attack at the beginning. <laughs> and uh one of the players decided to, to choose to play a drow rogue. That was one of the 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 pregens that was uh available online. Mm-hmm. And I was like I I even warned I was like, "Hey, you know, you're going to be in sunlight. You're going to have disadvantage on everything. It's really going to be tough." And she was like, "I'm fine with that," and I'm like, "Okay."
3: Uh,
1: so I think it was ended up being two rogues and a tempest cleric, and I, I think I critted, I critted, I took. Kayla's was playing a halfling rogue because why not? Um, mm. Took took her character to death saves. Uh, critted the um, the drow rogue and did enough damage on the crit that it was just insta kill. And took actually took the tempest cleric down to death saves, and I think on, on his first death save, uh, he rolled a natural twenty, came back with one hit point, uh, cleaned like managed with one hit point to kill the rest of the the goblins, and uh, like healing word, uh, the, the halfling rogue, and they left the the, the dead drow body behind. Um, but yeah that's been my one kill otherwise i think i've taken a couple of them down to like two fails um, mm. and then somebody pops up with healing or does a medicine check or whatever
0: um yeah it, it it's definitely one of those things like 5e is very like gentle with death that like it, it's pretty hard to do so mm-hmm. um i i definitely even think like I, I i do have a three like character kill count but like i i maintain that like a lot of how that happened was, like, um, sheer luck and just extremely bad roles from, like, everyone involved in that encounter. And it was one of those things, like, it, it worked out because it ended up being, like, it was supposed to be this emotional low point of, a uh, mm-hmm. long story short, um, it was basically supposed to be a bad future where, um it was a big, like, time travel arc where um, uh, one of the characters, like, uh, they, they see at least one of their friends, like, die in a fight. Um, because they were mind controlled by like the the big bad evil guy um and uh the the person who was mind controlled though ended up taking out two other characters with them um and uh it uh ended up being just this emotionally taxing session um as like uh i i talked to the player who was like uh, gonna be mind controlled and like hey, do you want to do anything to, like, really just kind of drive the stake into all of our hearts here? Um, and uh, he's like, uh, yeah, so I think my character is going to call his mom um, as he's, like, you know, bleeding out on the floor. And, like, it, it was just a very heartbreaking Yikes. sort of session. <laughs> I
2: actually cried during that session. I'm just going to point that out there. We were all depressed yeah, for well, a week, and I wouldn't let <laughs> she put live it down.
0: <laughs> all of us were. It was yeah, It was one of those things. It's, it, it was just a sum. It was heartbreaking, but it was definitely the session where, like, when I was talking to that player and character and I was playing his mom and, like, uh, having that conversation, uh, there there was that moment of, like, that sheer magic of D&D where, like, it, it wasn't just, like, us two players talking. It was the character and this character's mom talking and i could sense that like every player was just hanging on to every word and we were Mm -hmm. all just fully immersed in this like setting that all of us had created and like spent so much time and effort into that like it physically hurt to see this fictional character go (laughs) oh yeah oh
1: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. those those are great moments um I I've 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 experienced the other great moment for a DM where you're sitting there, you set the scene, and then the players take over mm-hmm. and have like the characters talk to each other, and for 15 minutes or whatever, I didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. They had a long in-character conversation with tears. Like everybody at that yep. at the table at that one, we were in tears at it, and it was just like it's like we we got done with the session. It was just like, okay, that, that is the dragon we are going to be chasing now. That's mm-hmm. you know, you have you have you've hit that that emotional uh say perfection, but just like I said nothing. I just sat back mm-hmm. and it just went. Um that, that's great. Um it, it is so great when when the immersion kicks in and you can just inhabit the NPC or you can inhabit your character and just be that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, totally agree though. Like, yeah, no, those are definitely the two biggest moments. Uh, um, yeah, the that moment of like um yeah, full immersion, uh, the the moments where like a DM can just like sit back and just like yeah, just let the characters talk. Uh I think the third like best moment a DM can have would definitely be for sure. Um e- when you have like some sort of like plot reveal that like you're kind of planning, just kind of been like on the edge of your seat, like, oh I'm ready to finally reveal this and like by, by the time you, like, reveal that one sort of thing, the players just kind of all, like, stand there in silence and they're like, wait a second. And they all just are, like, you know, just yelling. <laughs> like, wait wait, 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 like this is a thing that's actually happened. This is the plot mm-hmm. twist. And they all kind of, like, realize it. I, I think the best part of the even, too, is, like, those chain reaction moments where, like, uh, all of a sudden the table just erupts and they say, wait, but if X is happening, that means, like, Y is, like, uh, mm-hmm. is actually this. And then, like, um, wait, then just, like, and all of them just, like, pointing at each other, just, like, screaming <laughs> across the table. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of that. The one, especially, like, when I started thinking, it's like, wait a minute, but then that thing, and they realize, like, how many red herrings they've... Mm-hmm. They've, they've yep. spent time on. Yeah. Yeah. That's that is great. I I I I had that mo- I've had that moment a few times uh in the Not Safe for Wizards. Uh you know, especially mind control is just perfect for that. Just because mm-hmm. mm. the creatures I could do mind control are just awesome. They're <laughs> so much fun to, you know, reveal and, and watch the players kinda oh. Mm-hmm. um and i don't know about your players but a few of my players have some real hang-ups about uh their 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 characters being mind controlled and and <laughs> you know that that loss of agency and potentially having to turn on their party
0: mm-hmm. yeah what, what i try to do is like i, I give them a agency and like um you know your character is now trying to stop the party what are the plans that you as the player want to do and they're pretty good about like not metagaming or anything like that So, mm-hmm. for example like um in a very recent session we actually had some uh had some avoliths. um and uh Ooh. you know of course like one of the avaliths like a mind-controlled uh, bard um as they're going down like into the water um the the bard suddenly removes like the, the breathing bubble and the, just takes a big drink of the water <laughs> to immediately get themselves poisoned. Um, and as the barbarian just like looking at them confused, the bard just says like, hey, come on, barbarian. Like, uh, I think we should just submit to our new fishy overlords. <laughs> <And> <laughs> the barbarian just slowly realizes like, ah, crap.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. No, that is... Uh that, that yeah, abolith. That that was that was one of the, the reveals for, for my campaign as well was <laughs> what's what is lurking underneath the city? <laughs> um big gooey fish thing. <laughs> yep. And of course, you know, when they when they did defeat it, you know, as it was dying, it was like, you know, made sure it was like, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I you know, you may have killed me, but you know, I, I persist. I will come back. I will find you something of that nature. Mm. So every so often they get they get that okay, well that things are weird. Go- do, you, do you think it's Diabolus? Yeah, well, do you think think it's coming back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I love, rent- oh, yeah. I love that it lives rent.
1: I love that it lives rent free in their heads. Yes, yes.
0: that's it. <laughs> oh man.
1: Yeah. Well, um just to be cognizant of time and everything, uh let us shift over to some geek news
4: yay
1: yeah. <laughs> uh will would you like me to go first sure go ahead uh so uh, as is uh kind of common with uh every episode i have a in memoriam to share uh so Ruben clamor uh inventor of milton bradley's the game of life board game and designer of the starfleet phaser rifle for the original star trek tv series uh, died at his home in uh, La Jolla, California, uh, last week at the age of 99. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He uh, he was commissioned to make the Game of Life for Milton Bradley uh, back in the late 50s. Uh, it was unveiled in the 1960 International Toy Fair. Uh, and it's, uh, the estimate is that it has sold over 70 million copies worldwide. Wow. Yeah. Uh, That's he, crazy. Yeah. Uh, he also uh, is credited with creating hundreds of games, including Magic Moon Rocks, released in 1959, the Art Linkletter Hula Hoop, uh, and Fisher Price's Preschool Trainer Skates. Uh, hmm. Yeah. He was also a TV prop designer, including uh, items for uh, The Man from UNCLE, uh, and with Star Trek, he made the Starfleet Phaser Rifle. Uh Apparently, the original was auctioned off in 2013. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was 99. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, it's hard to think, like, Phaser Rifle versus the Game of Life, which is he probably uh, more well-known for. Mm. Both in different
4: circles. That's mm-hmm. true. Um,
1: also, uh, I for, I wanted to get this in. I, I know we have talked about it on uh, on social media, but uh, last week's guest uh, Eugene Marshall, uh, uh they they were up for some Emmy Ennies, not Emmys, but Ennies, uh last week at GenCon, and uh, Eugene and uh, Arcanus Press took home silver Ennis for best supplement and best digital book for ancestry and culture an alternative to uh fifth race and 5e uh so oh, congratulations sick. to them
2: nice
1: yeah yeah uh definitely um it was a great 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 person to talk to uh last week so um but yeah they were up for it and I was trying to pay attention to it Saturday when uh no Friday when they were announcing them but uh yeah so Congratulations to our friends at Arcanus Press. Um, The Toy Hall of Fame has announced uh, the ballot for this year's uh, possible inductee. Um, And amongst the finalists are uh, several uh, board games, uh, dolls, uh, and even billiards. Uh, So just wanted to give a quick run through the list. up for a uh, nominee of this year is American Girl dolls, uh, mm. created in nineteen eighty six by an educator and newscaster, Pleasant Roland. Uh, each doll comes with a narrative that reflects an era of American history. Um, and on a personal note, uh, through our thrift store, secondhand goddess, we used to get a bunch of their their the clothes and stuff in. And wow, people are pretty pretty particular about that stuff.
4: Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very nice way to put it.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Also up from Milton Bradley, 1967's Battleship.
4: Nice. Uh,
1: Originally played with paper and pencil uh, in 1960. So it predates 1967, but 1967, we get the form that we, what we all know and love the plastic adaptation. Uh, It was one of the first board games to be computerized in 1979. um, And uh, I, I can on, in my own life, I've probably spent many an hour playing battleship, electronic battleship in some way or form, uh, especially on the long, rainy Florida summer days. Mm-hmm. Um, also up, billiards, or as we call it in the United States, pool. Pool. Uh, yeah. Uh, the game evolved from earlier European outdoor games and became popular in the 1800s. Uh, and uh, Is that
4: really a toy, though?
1: That's weird, because, like, yeah, th- there are some other things on the list that I, I-, I question the the toy-ness of it. Um, mm-hmm. Also up, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids mm-hmm. uh, night- launched in 1979. They be- came with adoption papers, and uh, in 1983, they were the must-have item. I remember the madness of that era with people wanting these dolls um i don't know if if you've had a chance to see any of the videos um they you i've seen a few where they record at the the cabbage patch kids center and i think it's an outside atlanta in georgia uh the birthing of the yes i have seen tree. that where oh, it gosh. literally
2: comes out of cabbages and it's super weird
1: it is <laughs> disturbing just yes uh, but would
4: if, you have it any other way
2: mm, that's fair
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean
4: I mean if you if you think that's bad, imagine watching the garbage Pail kids be born. <laughs> no,
1: thank God. I don't, need, I don't need that trauma in my life. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, I still can't get the picture of Sean Sean out of my head, okay? <laughs> um Fisher Price's Corn Popper. Uh it's a, the 1957, the push toy got toddlers walking. Uh it, it's the the dome on two wheels and the stick oh, where the little ball pop up in. Yep, I thought pipe. it was like
2: a vacuum.
1: It's oh. the corn popper. What?
0: Huh. You know, definitely, because it was little vacuumy noises, I was I was also thinking like...
2: Well, my mom always gave it to me like, okay, go vacuum the house, and I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Dee, dee,
1: dee. Uh, Mahjong uh, is, is nice. up as well, which uh, oh, I, again, kind of go to the question of, is this a toy? Uh <laughs> Mahjong is Ma- addicting. Uh, yes. Uh, it became popular in the United States in the 20s. Uh, originated in China, of course. Uh, and I guess originally was a card game before being moved to tiles. Hmm. Yes, it was. Uh, Masters of the Universe. Uh, hmm. He-Man, She-Ra, the like lines of... All of th- it? or All of it?
4: Again, like not t- necessarily a toy? Well,
1: uh, the, the, the toy line, the, the 1983 to 85 run... So the the action figures with the mini comic book uh okay. in each package okay. and of course you know then you also had the 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 gray skull and and snake mountain and the little perch thing that the bird flying mm-hmm. thing yeah i i had a lot of them uh, nice uh so so here here's another one will where i will i will join you in is that a toy ah uh, piñata
2: that's a toy <laughs> I, I would consider that as a toy. Only because like I, I uh I'm half Mexican and like whenever piñatas were brought out, like it, it we don't even be need to be celebrating like a birthday particularly, just uh just if we're all getting together as a fiesta and there's like a bunch of little kids and we're like, All right, piñata time, we just mm-hmm. all sit back in amusement while they try to hit this thing. I okay. consider it a toy.
4: Go, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that I you know, I, I could go, them. Yes, that could be a toy because it's really no different than Pin the tail on the donkey. I mean, yeah. Realistically, it's it's a it's a it could be a toy.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. No, you know what? I I I I I fully support that as a toy. Um, the game Risk, uh, which, so which that's that's
4: not a toy. That that's a cause for friendships to end.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, only only surpassed by two other games for friendship ending. Three other games for friendship ending. Monopoly, of course.
4: Mm-hmm. Civilization.
1: Okay, four games. Yeah. Um, Axis and Allies. Oh my gosh. Scrabble. You know, Scrabble, not so much. Um, and, and I've never actually played it in person, but I, I understand the game Diplomacy uh, mm. and Friendships as well.
4: And Start Fights.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: Which is ironic considering the name of the game.
1: Yes. Uh, it, it came out in 1959. Uh, and uh, as anyone who has played it, you need to hold you need to get Australia first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's one, Will, that I, I I definitely think we're gonna sand.
2: Wait, just... <laughs> wait, what?
1: Sand. The the listing sure. says the substance is perhaps the most universal and oldest toy in the world.
0: Not even a sandbox. You no, know, just
2: straight up sand. <laughs> straight up sand.
1: <laughs> crushed rock. Um Weathered rock, uh, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: what's that other like moon sand or what is it called?
1: The, oh, the, like the the kin- that kinetic sand yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. Like See, that would make more sense, but just like actual like the stuff at the beach,
2: that that's not a toy, hmm.
4: That, that, that's not a toy.
2: Let's just go outside and play with some dirt,
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, mud pies are going to be a toy now. I mean yeah. they would technically be a better toy than sand. I don't
1: but, know. Okay. Build a sand castle. Yeah.
4: You know. Build a brick. The yeah. right people.
1: Uh speaking of bricks, uh the Settlers of Catan uh is up for uh up for a, the uh the hall of fame. A game I have yet to play in person. Hmm. Vague. Not not uh, big enough. Uh and then the last one. Uh, again, this one is toy fire engine.
4: Hmm.
1: Again, highly vague. <laughs> yeah,
4: there's no particular one like all of them under one umbrella.
1: Yep, hmm. materials, design, and technology evolved, but the appeal has remained, according to the National Toy Hall of Fame. Hmm.
4: Huh. That is a very interesting list. Hmm. Yeah, I,
1: I, I can, I can, I, I'm figuring. Uh, doesn't say how, like, who's three toys that receive the most public votes will be submitted on as one ballot to be counted, with the 22 other top three ballots submitted by the national selection advisory committee, Uh, the winners will be inducted November 4th. So uh, there is uh, fans are, 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 have been able to vote. Unfortunately Uh, voting will close before this podcast is out. So, Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, so the top three get in. Um, that's a weird pick. I don't. I don't really know. Like, I figure settlers of Catan will probably get in because that's too vague. You think that Catan's too vague to it's, get in it's as too, a it's too vague. Not, en- nah, not enough wide,
4: widespread appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, you ask a hundred people about that game, you might get four that know what it is.
0: Sure, but I mean, isn't it also specifically asking like? People who are really, really into board games enough to vote. What Settlers of Catan is?
1: Yeah, I, I feel I like probably. that
0: spread might be a lot more skewed towards Settlers of Catan.
1: Yeah, that's that's my one thought. Is you know, but then it's, I don't know. It's a weird thing because like I see American Girl dolls and Catch Trash Kids getting getting some good votes, and mm. uh, don't forget yeah. about Sand. Yeah, I mean,
3: <laughs> Sand.
1: Everybody's heard of Sand. <laughs> it's course and gets everywhere I, hate
4: it. I was waiting for the Star Trek reference take your geek point
1: Star Wars sir but I'll
4: that's what I said I was waiting for the Star Wars reference take your geek point point.
1: <laughs> um, and my last uh, news story which has somehow disappeared um, let me pull that back up uh, well I kind of remember off the top of my head but uh, so one of the directors uh, from the Mandalorian series is being tapped to helm uh, her own story. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is going to be rebooting a sci-fi classic. And that classic will be 1986 Flight of the Navigator.
3: Ooh! Um,
1: for, mm. th- for, for those unfamiliar... Uh, fly the navigator tells a story of a 12 year old boy who disappears uh for like eight years comes back uh and there is an alien ship uh that that also appears and uh uh hijinks ensues would be the good way to say it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and some really
4: kick-ass special effects for that year
1: absolutely uh the uh there's an alien robot max who is voiced by Paul Rubens, uh, we might better know him as Pee Wee Herman. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh also uh an early role for Sarah Jessica Parker, who was one of the nurses who who helped take care of uh David the uh the young boy. So um that movie is
4: still watchable though.
1: It 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 definitely is. Um interesting fact, uh Kayla's stepdad actually was uh one of the guards in it. I think he even had a speaking role and often jokes about the uh the the occasional royalty check he still gets, residual check he gets from it. <laughs> nice. Um not much information has come out other than it will be going to um will be going to Disney Plus uh but <laughs> there's no no big details on it. Um this joins uh, news that um, the Rocketeer is getting a Disney Plus reboot. So, looks like Disney is looking at. Uh, I mean, Flight of the Navigator is considered a modest hit, uh, but you know, nothing compared to you know what they're making these days when they put out a film. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, we'll see. Uh, should be interesting. Um, I did not see if it's going to be a, its own movie or if they're going to do a series, but that would be, Oh, it's going to be a new movie. Okay. So uh we have that to look forward to Uh no timetable, no writer attached. No, I don't think anything else uh, else has been listed about it. So, <laughs> and that is my geek news. Well, uh,
4: you- I will start off with an memoriam as well. Uh This is a breaking news. Oh, no. Over the last hour, uh, as we've been recording, Willie Garson, uh, actor best known for playing Sanford Blatch on Sex and the City, and Mazzy on oh. White Collar, has passed away. Uh, he mm. was 57. Uh, cause of death has not been disclosed. Again, this is, as we're recording it, breaking news. Uh, this is another one of those actors where, if you haven't watched either one of those shows, you've seen this guy.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
4: Um he has been in a lot of stuff. Uh at some movies that he's been in. He was in Troop Beverly Hills. Uh he was in uh Nowhere Land, which was a really good short story movie from the nineties. Um he was in Groundhog Day. Uh he was Phil's assistant, Kenny. If you uh need to go back and take a oh, look wow. at uh he was in Black Sheep, uh Let's see. He was in The Rock, Kingpin, Mars Attacks, uh, Being John Malkovich, and many, many more. Uh, he was in, if you can name a decent TV show, he, he had a character in that show. From uh, Family Ties and Cheers back in the 80s into uh, Mad TV, Mad About You, The X-Files, uh, NYPD Blue, into the 90s he was in star trek voyagers episode of uh, episode 30 days he played riga um so he was just kind of he was in a little bit of everything all over the place he was one of those guys of hey i know him Mm. Uh, so he has passed away sadly wow happens fast Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Happy news coming out of the Star Wars land. Uh, Ewan McGregor has confirmed that principal photography for Obi-Wan Kenobi has wrapped. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so we should see that sometime late, late next year. Maybe. Uh, all depends on when all the series kind of fall into place of where things are going to go. Mandalorian, Ahsoka, all, all the different Shows that they have now, uh, so that's a little tidbit on that. Uh, a first edition copy of the classic novel Frankenstein has sold mm-hmm. at a recent auction at Christie's. Uh, it was estimated that the book would go for two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. It sold and set a record at one point one seven million dollars, which sets a record for the highest price paid for a published work by a woman. According to Fine Books Magazine. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one. It was a copy of one of five hundred that were originally printed anonymously by uh, by Mary Shelley uh, in 1818. It comes in three volumes and features the original hardcover boards. Wow. Also, it's a preface by her husband poet Percy Shelley, along with a dedication to her father William Godwin, a journalist and political philosopher. Uh, it was first uh this copy was the first to be auctioned since nineteen eighty five so doesn't come up very often
1: just to, I don't know if you have do you have i there's there was an auction thing I read the other day that uh just popped into my head again uh if I can steal a moment here unless you have it
4: I don't know I have another auction that I'm going to be talking about
1: okay, then you probably have it then
4: maybe uh highlights of the Star Trek Discovery prop store auction that was held by Viacom CBS and the company prop store uh some highlights on that unfortunately the auction is already closed so sorry uh we have failed I I have personally failed you um I will find a way to make it up for all of you uh there were 241 lots of props and costumes from the first and second seasons of Star Trek Discovery uh for example, uh, lot number two were uh, Star Trek Into Darkness framed Spock, played by Nem- Leonard Nimoy ears, from the personal collection of Leonard Nimoy. Wow! Uh, it was they were sold for nine thousand uh, dollars. And you had uh, Christopher Pike's uh, captain's oh. badge, uh, which sold for fourteen thousand. Wow! A- yeah, $14,000 for his comm badge. Wow. Uh a Starfleet Type 2 hand phaser, uh light up light up prop, uh sold for $21,000. And the Christopher Pike's, uh played by Anson Mount, his captain's uniform sold for $29,000. Nice. Uh, I will. I have already sent this over to Joe in the other chat so that he can throw it up uh, in the show links so that you can go take a look at it. The links for the auction and all of its sold prices are out there, but the really cool thing is for a lot of people who like star trek discovery or some of the episodes or hey i want to get some detail to cosplay that but we don't really see it real well on the screen these are some really sweet high resolution photos showing these uniforms so you can go and take a real good look so you can help your cosplays
1: you're all for upping the cosplays
4: i'm all for it man
1: anything that can
4: help people out of, of trying to go you know ah, I can't really see this all that well they only show it briefly nice. yeah, go take a look because it's a uh, pretty cool pretty cool stuff um so I will uh I've already posted this uh you guys can go and check it out on our Facebook page I've already posted it but I'm gonna put this into the into the local chat here for you guys to take a look at does that uniform look familiar to you? Um.
1: Yeah. 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 Me. <laughs> you know, if it was in like a burgundy. Does it look a little familiar? Yeah. Is that, uh, is that one of our Space Force? Uh, that uniforms? is the
4: Space Force dress uniform that you're seeing there. Are you serious? Hmm. I am
1: huh. absolutely
4: serious. That was just announced uh, very recently. Huh. Give me two seconds here. I have seemed to lost
1: my thing. Well, I mean, if they're going to keep, keep ripping off Star keep. Trek, you know, I mean.
4: Star Trek? No, sir. No, not Star Trek. Cause you've, I have lost my picture. You
1: you you have seen the the actual logo for, I, I put that into our.
4: Oh, no, I have absolutely <laughs> seen that. Um. I'm sorry you're going to have to edit a little bit here sorry I suck because I lost my spot <laughs> lost my damn link listen if I suppose but uh no if that uniform doesn't look familiar oh yes does it look familiar now
1: yes <laughs>
4: <laughs> so the the, the latest and, and you can check it out on on our Facebook page like I said I've already posted it. Uh, it has a very eerily symbolic uh, resemblance to the Battlestar Galactica uniforms. Uh, we're, going is... cross genre. we're going cross-genre, we're going same genre, but we're going cross-fandoms cross, cross fandoms on the uniforms. Mm-hmm. First they steal the, the insignia for for Starfleet, and now they're stealing the dress uniforms
1: for Battlestar. I, I, th- okay, so uh, looking at the, the new uniform here, The placement of the, I'm assuming that's the Space Force medallion, like, (laughs) just like,
0: you know, just kind of smack dab in the middle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, no, that's, that is, I mean,
4: not, not that this puts it at a good, a a, a good audio representation for the, for, for the audio masses. But I mean, the, the, the closest thing that I can say is imagine a chef's coat. Yeah. (laughs) Because <laughs> that's that's almost exactly what this looks like. Only it looks very similar to the BSG uniforms. Mm. Uh, I, whoever is working over at Space Force, I, I want to see what they're going to design the first Starship to look like. Because if it looks like the Millennium Falcon, I'm suing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, if you can't come up with an original idea, just call it what it what it's supposed to be,
1: and. <laughs> own your own your thief
3: <laughs>
4: Just
1: own your thieving I, i'm sure disney lucas films wouldn't mind a little little something something of a government contract oh yeah mm-hmm. if um, they
4: don't already have it
1: <laughs> <laughs> well look we we built a really good shell for it at the uh at the parks for the uh smugglers run uh ride so
4: all you need to do is you know invent the ion drives it's fine mm-hmm <laughs>
1: Uh, geek point for that, sir. And, uh, I just can't get over the
4: hypocrisy. It is just, oh my God.
1: Yeah. No if you're going to steal it. Just flat out
4: say, I'm going to steal this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When they unveiled the, the, the logo uh, a couple years back, it was definitely like, uh, guys, um, that looks very familiar.
4: Yeah. It goes back to, is this just a recreation of the theme from under pressure? No, because this is just enough of a sharper angle that it's not the same. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just daged myself appropriately. Thank you very much.
1: Because <laughs> you see, it, it theirs goes dun, dun 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 dun, and mine goes dun 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 dun. Uh-huh. Said in court by one Rob Van Winkle.
4: Take your geek point because you actually know that. <laughs> Uh, so my last little bit is I, I, I like to have fun with my top 10, my, my, my 10 lists. Oh boy. Um, and I found a new one. Oh boy. Uh, the worst video game movies. (laughs) I saw this. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I was going to bring this up last week. Unfortunately, it was, you know, it was one of those weeks. Uh, so I will retro, I, I will bring it back for this one. Uh, we'll start with number 10, 1994's Double Dragon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, see, the sad part is, I can watch this movie. I can still watch this movie. Well, A, because Alyssa Milano's in it, but that, that's not the only reason. It's actually a pretty decent movie. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: and considering it was made for a grand total of $7.8 million. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Put some money behind it. Put Alyssa Milano back in. Get you know two other guys in there. It'll be fine.
1: Are you, I mean, you saying Are you saying you don't want Scott Wolf again?
4: Uh, if I want to watch that movie, I can watch that
1: movie.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Keeping with the early nineties, nineteen ninety three, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, uh, <laughs> Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. I mean, come on. Listen, if that doesn't, if that doesn't talk. Italian plumber John Leguizano.
1: come on now. Um, I was a huge fan of Dennis Hopper as a young teenager. Don't ask; it's a long, complicated thing. But yeah, this this movie was really like Ford. so so much head shaking.
4: Can you believe somebody shelled out forty eight million bucks to make that movie?
1: I mean, you know you what? I
4: had to pay Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo. I mean, <laughs> I
1: mean. <laughs> I mean, and Bob Hoskins. I mean, you know, he was still riding high off of his uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But you can look at some of the, the the special effects and creature effects, and remember that that was all practical, and you can see that a lot of money was wasted.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, it uh, it did not make the money back. Nope. Uh, number eight, nineteen ninety nine's Wing Commander. Hmm. Uh. Ashley Lillard I, I, and Freddie Prince Jr. were not enough to make this movie anywhere near decent.
1: Um, I had a friend who was huge into these games, the, the Wing Commander games, and I remember how excited he was that they were making a movie about this. And then, yeah, we saw it, and uh, that was a look of disappointment on his face, only to be topped like a year or two later when. Dungeons and Dragons, the movie came out. (laughs) Which is amazingly not on this list,
4: but then again, does not, was not a, originally a video game. Nope. Uh, By the way, that one only made 11.6 million in the, in the theaters and it cost 30 million to make. Oof. Uh, Number seven, 2007's In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege tale.
1: Yeah. I saw this one, not in the theaters. I've, I think i saw it on netflix or one of the streamers
4: yeah, jason Statham, burt reynolds john rice davies ray leota ron perlman uh, the completely miserable roles that this movie made no freaking money um production budget of 60 million dollars it earned 13.1 million in the theaters
1: good lord uh also also had uh lily sobieski in it
4: yes it did
1: that was um, not not good.
4: I I don't necessarily understand why this is on this list, and this is why I we can disagree on other people's lists. Uh number six is the Resident Evil franchise.
2: Wow, really?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to call shenanigans on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's sort of like you know, if you put like worst sci-fi movies and put it, the alien franchise on there because of like you know maybe three and four um but but like the first one of i there are good movies in that series of resident evil i enjoyable movies i'll say uh the only thing that i
4: can think of is if they were trying to base it on the movies being like the video games because the resident evil series is nothing like the video games Mm -hmm. um it, it it's i i would say if anything it's loosely based on a video game yeah
1: <laughs> video game so, adjacent.
4: right right i'm i mean it when you take the last resident evil movie that came out in 2016 it made 312 million dollars on a budget of 40 million i would not call that a failure
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, number five 1997's mortal combat annihilation
1: hmm. so this this kind of follows my rule that if the alleged star of the first movie doesn't want to come back for it (laughs) um you know when you don't get christopher lambert reprising the role of ronin or not ronin um
4: Raiden.
1: um that's one of those where you need to look around going should we be doing this is this (laughs) is this a good idea
4: Let, let alone make a third But to his credit, it made $51 million in the box office and only cost $30 million to make. So take it for what it's worth, I guess. Um, Number four is uh, 2009's Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. If you haven't seen this movie, don't feel bad. Not many people have. (laughs) Uh, It had, realistically, nobody that you would ever know in the movie.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was
4: the, horribly, uh, horrible dialogue. Uh,
1: that was uh, horrible that acting. Was it Christine Crook from uh, not Christine? She was on Smallville, she played Lana. That was that was who they're banking on, be that playing Chun Lee. Uh, Kristen, Chris, Kristen Crook, yep, so it was Kristen. Okay, yeah, yeah, she was the they're banking on that Smallville audience. um
4: michael clark duncan neil mcdonald those are probably the the names that you're gonna know if you go to try and look through the cast list those are the two names you're gonna know but yeah, horrible movie uh made 12.8 million dollars it cost 18, 18 billion 18 million to make not worth it um, number three we're getting into the really bad ones now uh 2005's blood rain oof did anybody know that they made a blood rain movie? No. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I I did as well. Um, you would think that a, a, a vampire who hunts Nazis and other vampires would, would draw an audience. And then mm. they made a movie about it, and it didn't. Um, and it, it was so bad that they made a second one. <laughs> and, and wait though. for it. Wait for it. They made a third one. Did they really? Oh. Yes. Blood Rain the Third Reich. If if you haven't seen it, don't worry, nobody else has either. It went straight to video. Uh, the original did go to the box office. uh yes. It would cost $25 million to make. And it made anybody want to guess?
2: At least $2.
4: <laughs> 3.7 million. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number
1: two on the list, a three's House of the Dead. I don't Damn know. I'm not the even familiar crickets. with that game. I'm not even familiar with the game, so I'm just gonna.
4: <laughs> yeah, not many people know it either. But uh, basically, teenagers go to an island. There are zombies. What could possibly go wrong? Um, it did make a little more than what it costs to make, but maybe a couple of hundred thousand dollars more. Uh, and the number one on this list. 2005's Alone in the Dark. Mm-hmm. I'm again. That's not a game I'm very familiar with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was one of those uh, survival horror games. Um, it wasn't real, real big, uh, but it was big enough to get a movie. Mm-hmm. It had Christian Slater and Tara Reid. Well, th- so that it had uh, it had a couple of names in it um but this was just horrible (laughs) all the way around uh it made 12.7 million dollars on the box office uh mainly just because christian slater was in it and how bad could it be well it could be really bad uh so 12.7 at the box office it made cost 20 to make so that is my my top 10 list for this week and unfortunately not
1: uh, total but not, not bad all the way around I noticed. I, I was looking at the list. I noticed that Ui uh, Boll mm-hmm. is a constant. Is a is a very often the director of said movies. Um, yeah,
0: that was like the one like connection. Like I know, like the Resident Evil director. He made like a bunch of other like. <laughs> oh god. Hey, what what property
4: can we possibly get our hands on that nobody else wants <laughs> that we can maybe churn out a a, a low budget. Mm-hmm. Movie that won't do very well at the box office, but will find a a niche home.
3: <laughs>
4: that was kind of the the idea in the mid nineties of buying video game properties and making movies. Maybe it'll find an a audience in
0: video. Isn't he still doing it though? Like, um, I, I distinctly remember, I was way into Monster Hunter when uh, around the time of the Monster Hunter movie, and I distinctly remember like seeing that first trailer and like. Oh, instead of being about like you know the the hunters like uh, in in their world just hunting monsters, it's about the the military gets transported to the monster hunter world and they fight monsters with guns and uh, fucking tanks and shit.
1: What is even going on with these? It, it's it's like the the buying up of comic book properties these days. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, mm-hmm. what what are you okay? <laughs>
0: yeah you're trying to make it appeal to everyone and and because you're trying to do that it now appeals to no one mm-hmm. you, Pretty much. you lost you
1: lost out on the core audience mm. and the the casuals are not going to go but it's one of those words. like how have we how have they not learned this lesson like mm-hmm. or i have a thought it's all a conspiracy by the accountants we make these movies that lose multiple millions of dollars, we can write that off when we drop in Avengers. I'm looking, I'm looking at you, John Carter. <laughs> oh
4: God.: Well, oh, I mean, you're also talking about Hollywood, where you can fail upwards. Yes, mm-hmm. well yes. And And if you, if you want any kind of proof to that, the guy who directed G.I. Joe, the second G.I. Joe movie, you know what his, what his first movie was? Uh, it was a documentary about Justin Bieber.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> so oh my if goodness.
4: you're if you're wondering how to make it in Hollywood, just do something incredibly dumb. Someone mm. will come along and wave lots of money at you.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. All Plus right. This thing like any publicity is good publicity, right? Like, mm-hmm. say what you will about like Oui Bowl. Like, we I, I knew his name as soon as you said it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's it's sort of the the the. The Michael Bay theory, you know, it's like yeah. these movies aren't don't have to be good, but you know they will make money somehow, some way. I mean, I'm sure with like the deals with streaming services and sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, I am sure the folks behind you know uh, the the, uh, the Dungeon Siege movie, which they made a sequel or two that were I think direct to sci-fi or direct to video. So, mm-hmm. oof, uh, next week. Just a reminder, we've got our uh, we're, we're, the host will be coming up with our uh, spooky movies for uh, for Halloween watching for for October watching. After uh, we went through Will's uh, coverage of the f- 31 days of Halloween, which featured otherwise
4: known as the 18,000 showings of Hocus Pocus. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, so we got that coming up next week for people to look forward to. Uh, the auction story I I interrupted you about, and I apologize for that. Uh, one of eleven, one of the eleven original first printings of the Constitution is going to be going up for auction. Oh wow! Uh, Sotheby's has it, and uh, they are estimating that it could be uh, it could exceed uh, twenty million dollars. Wow. Uh,
2: not if Nick Cage shows up. Sorry. Take
1: hey, the geek point. <laughs> um, you
4: got there before me.
1: The uh, the text up for auction November belongs to a collector and philanthropist Dorothy Tapper Goldman. Uh, she acquired it, uh, it. She it was originally acquired by her her late husband. Uh, do you want to know what he got it for? Uh, Nothing back- when
4: he got it from Nick Cage. Was
1: it well, please Nick Cage? <laughs> well, he no, he did not get it uh, from Nick Cage, but uh, he did get it uh, in 1988 when it went up for auction, uh, and it was purchased for 165 thousand dollars. Wow! Um, so right now, uh, the that copy of the Constitution plus some other uh, documents from uh, early American history are on. Uh, a tour of the country uh, via Sotheby's, uh, and then it will go for auction in November, where again, I said it's, it is expected to go up to $20 million. Mm.
3: Um,
1: and uh, apparently, the proceeds are going to go to a foundation uh, that is supposed to be about all about uh, the Dorothy Tapper Goldman Foundation, organization dedicated to furthering the understanding of our democracy and how the acts of all citizens. Can make a difference from their press release. So, uh, and that news came out last Friday, which was coincidentally or not, Constitution Day. So,
4: did you go through all that just to make a pun?
1: I did not.
4: (laughs) Oh, it was just one of those extra benefits.
1: Yep. Okay. All right. Well, uh, normally I would call for uh, Kayla to go to the big board, but uh, I have the big board. Uh, And as I look at the big board, it is a, a very tight competition but uh with that last nick cage reference (laughs) izzy pulls ahead with seven (laughs) shivam a respectable six nice nice uh and will and i tie at five <laughs>
2: I can beat Shiva at chocobo racing and geek points. Time. Oh, yeah! <laughs>
4: wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, shots fired.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Izzy, it is your rights, responsibility, uh, obligations, and uh, something privilege. else. Usually, privilege. Yeah, privilege. Uh, you get to plug stuff first. Uh, so where can folks find you? And I'd imagine particularly where can they find the Instagram that both Will and I have complimented you on?
2: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Isabel H. Carmona. Uh, I post mostly my personal art stuff on there. Um, if you want to see stuff that we work on, uh, me and Shiva for Horror and Harpy, we have that. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch at Keeper of Kitsune. Uh, we are going to start up our Eluna Knights campaign here pretty soon. Uh, the beginning of October. Uh, yeah. Cool.
1: All right. So Shivam, you are second. Uh, where can folks find you online and and, and more about horror and Harpy? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. So, um yeah, uh, all places that uh, Izzy just mentioned, uh, yeah, I do help with most, with uh, work on most of that sort of stuff, too. Um, uh, of course, there's also the uh, YouTube channel. You can search for Horror and Harpy on YouTube. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing the Phoenix Chats weekly, and uh, as soon as the Illuminate Nights campaign opens back up, yeah, you can catch us on Twitch, or if you can't catch us on Twitch, the VODs will be uploaded um, at least by the following day uh, up on YouTube.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Will? Yeah. Where can folks find you online?
0: Uh, you
4: can find me at Geekiest Will on Instagram and the Twitter. Uh, now that I know uh, how to use either one of them, but I'm
1: trying. Mm-hmm. That's all we can ask.
4: Joe, tell these folks where they can find you.
1: Well, the list is long and illustrious. If you are on Twitter, you can find me at Demorgus. That's D-E-M-O-R-G-U-S. That's my personal Twitter. Uh, if you are in the mood to follow this podcast across any of the social medias, you just got to go to The Geekiest Pod. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you are interested in getting any of The Geekiest merchandise, which includes what I lovingly refer to as the five-headed logo, or you want a hashtag Geekpoint shirt or any other geek po- hashtag Geekpoint merch, uh, just go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash The Pod. Um, if you are in, uh, you know, if, if you've taken a listen to uh, Horror and Harpy and you're still in the mood for some more D&D content, uh, look for Not Safer Wizards, uh, our fifth edition actual play podcast where I am the DM and Kayla, it plays uh, Jade Tea Leaf, the halfling rogue assassin. Uh, we are, they've gotten into some major shenanigans. Uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, they have entered the astral plane. Um, and uh the new episodes of the actual play come out every other friday and in between you get our out of character our behind the play show hosted by gary who plays velican in the game and uh, whoever he can get to be his guest to talk about the previous episode so uh we kind of give you two shows for one there so uh and if you happen to be in the South Florida area and you want to check out the thrift store that uh, is often mentioned on the show, you need to go to 41, 4148 Davy Road here in beautiful Davy, Florida, uh, where you will find Kayla most days of the week and me occasionally now. Uh, it is full of geeky, witchy, cool stuff. Uh, Kayla is in the middle of doing a major reorganization of things, but uh, it is... It's got a little bit of everything and a whole lot of good stuff. Uh, If you follow uh, Secondhand Goddess on any of the socials lately, you'll have noticed uh, Kayla's been making some new brain monsters that are available, and uh, we've also got some cool costume stuff in. So uh, take a look. If you can't make it to the South Florida area, go to secondhandgoddess.net. You will find uh, our eBay store there. Um, We have a lot of... Disney trading pins and other interesting things that come into the shop, but don't quite meet, don't, don't quite fit the thrift store aesthetic. Uh, you also will find uh, the Secondhand Goddess merch store there as well, uh, which includes not only Secondhand Goddess logo stuff, but also uh, any of the interesting uh, T-shirts and things that Chaos would come up with, like Dexterity's My Dumpstat, or uh, Bitey, or uh, Her Body, Her Choice. Um, merch available there so uh, keep a lookout for that uh, if you are interested in having me run a and d game for you or a few other tabletop roleplaying games uh, go to mindflayedmondays.com uh, and uh, reach out to our friend Morgan and uh, hire me I do both in person and remote so uh, you can have me run a game for you or run a campaign And I think that is it. As always, this podcast believes that Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, and love is love. We thank you for listening this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week.
4: Made the world a better place than you found it, kids.
1: Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, Two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.